this series around the habits of the early church. And originally, I had a different message planned for this morning, and I just felt the timing um, of a transition of a worship leader as well as just where we were at. I kind of just tossed that message, and you're getting what you're getting this morning. And the idea around what is the habit of creating sacred space, right? The early church, um, and, and if you read through Acts, and we're just kind of the, the journey a little bit through, through the early parts of Acts, um, the original apostles and whatnot were still going to the temple because their faith and their religious structure was still built within the Jewish system. And so they would go to temple, and you see this in, in Acts 3. Peter and John are going up to the temple at the third hour to pray, as is their custom, right? Uh, but eventually there was um, a rift between Judaism and Christianity. And as more and more popularity around the Christian movement and, and Christ and Jesus and the death, burial, resurrection and all that happened, um, it actually says here that the Pharisees began to get jealous. And they began arresting Christians and arresting apostles. So they couldn't just go to the temple to pray, as was their custom. Right? So these things or habits that were um, sacred to them were being taken away from them. And as the early church were responding, they had to create new things or new customs or, or new things that were, were sacred. And how do we find sacred things in our day-to-day -day life? How do we create sacred space when the religious structure or what we're used to might be taken away from us? Even the, uh, the scripture reading this morning out of Ephesians says, Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father and everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of even music started with the spot where, uh, you know, certain music is, is sacred. We have hymns that we're familiar with and they bring about emotion and, and whatnot and they have become sacred to us because some of it is, that's our familiarity with it. Some of it, that's how we like to sing it. And then we introduce a new worship leader like Susan and, and the cadence is a little different. Maybe it's not as high a key and you're like, oh, well, that's nice, but it's not quite right. Uh, and then Susan abandons us for Alaska. Um, now, uh, okay, emotionally, I'm still processing that. I really like working with Susan. Um, she's posting photos on Facebook, too, and it's just beautiful, and I'm telling her it's horrible. She should move back. Um, but, all right, Susan and her family go off on this adventure to Alaska, and we introduce a new worship leader. And, and oh, well, you know, that's nice, but it's not quite what I remember, not quite what I'm familiar with. And somehow we could reach a spot where we decide, well, maybe that's not as sacred because it's not the way we're accustomed to or what we're used to or what we like or what our preference is. And uh, it creates challenge for us. How do we find sacred in the ordinary or in the day-to-day -day routine. And, and especially, how do we find sacred outside of just our religious structure? Right? I only see you guys in this room on Sunday, so if this is the only space that is sacred in your week, 
then, then I'm afraid you're missing so much Monday through Saturday. Because there's so much sacredness in this world that we can lean into and we can find. You know, it talks about psalms, so sing to each other in psalms, and, and we have the book of psalms, and there's 151 of them. Is that right? Good Bible scholars just close to that. Uh, and and we kind of know what those are. There's a collection of poems. A lot of those poems were played to, you know, stringed instruments or percussions. Um, some of them are written as prayers. Some of them are, are more just praise, like let's worship God. And, and a lot of them are just instructional, right? The use of music to teach people is, is all throughout history, right? We learn our ABCs through song. Um, we learn, you know, all sorts of, of kind of music um, or, or things that we need to learn through, through song. And scripture and theology was that way too. Well, let's, not everyone had access to books or scrolls. Um, not everybody could read at certain points. Uh, for the longest time, the Bible was not translated into common languages. So only the elite, only the educated, only the priests could even read the text and then translate and explain it to the commoners. Right, so, so we begin learning through song to be taught, instructional, theological, cadence through music. Uh, but then it also talks about spiritual songs and, and reading through a lot of uh, various theologians on this. Some of those would be more praise-orientated, um, but what a lot of uh, people actually believe is that there was a spontaneity to those. So the Psalms, Scripture, text, it's there. Hymns we're familiar with, but that we would have this kind of spontaneous response to what God is doing in our lives. And a song, a spiritual song, would just sort of arise within us. And we would begin singing, you know, praise God for the day is beautiful, or, or whatever. We would just be moved by the Spirit to create a spiritual song that was not a psalm, that was not a hymn, but was this kind of response. And all of those, Scripture says, all of those are beautiful things. We ought to be speaking and engaging with one another in all of those aspects, not just one or the other as this is sacred and that's other, right? Uh, and so, so there's this invitation into, to, to this process and uh, you know, the early church, early Christians, again, the apostles, they had to figure out how do we create new things that were sacred? And so even on this, the pamphlet, the front cover, we read Acts chapter 2 um, as, as kind of a behavior pattern for the early church, too, that they found that, well, we can't meet in the temple. And so breaking bread in one another's homes, and you see this all throughout Scripture, they were meeting in Lydia's home, they were meeting in this person's home, they were meeting in that person's home, they were outside in the courtyard. Right? The physical space changed and altered. But the sacredness was still the gathering together. It was meeting, and where they met didn't seem to matter. That they met with some intention and with some purpose became sacred. And so outside of these four walls, outside of our structured church service or a scripture reading and call to worship and and music, how do we how do we find sacred in our day-to-day -day life outside of just this space? And um, I was even kind of diving in a little bit to the, the Reformation movement, right? So uh, at a certain point, 
Martin Luther uh, nailed his thesis to the door. It was kind of this challenge to the Catholic Church. Um, and basically the argument around it was that theology and music and God needed to be more accessible to the people. That it wasn't an elitist thing that was just for the learned and the educated. And so it's kind of interesting following timelines because um, the Reformation uh, followed right after the Renaissance era. And there's often times when in, in culture throughout the history of humanity that there is some sort of spiritual reawakening that follows some sort of cultural Reawakening. There's something has gone on, and the people of God then are responding to it. And in their response, they are discovering new sacred things, new habits, right? So even within the, the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, we have that dividing line being Jesus Christ. Birth, life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus splits the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. The people had to respond to Christ showing up. It was a huge, significant cultural shift. And the New Testament talks constantly that it's not just the priests who act, have access to the God, but we are a priesthood of believers. Right? That, that's this access. And I'm going to argue that access is part of what makes something sacred. Do we have access to God? Do we have access to the divine? Do we have access to the presence of God in this place? And regardless, whether that's a meal at your table or a church service in a building, that access and presence of God is what makes it sacred, not the rituals itself. Uh, the word sacred uh, actually is defined as dedicated or set apart for the service of worship of a deity. Dedicated or set apart. It's very similar to the word holy. Uh, and so the early Christians, at a certain point, they're not welcome in the temple. They're being arrested. They're being drug out of towns and stoned and killed. And the church scatters. Which was probably helpful because as they scattered, they took the message with them, right? There's this look back at it at this point and go like, okay, well, it was bad that they were being stoned to death. However, it led to this gospel message going into all the corners of the world. But as they went into all these communities, and they couldn't just go to the Jewish temple, and there was other God, like, how do we find sacred in their day-to-day -day life? And so they would find places to worship. They would find new songs to sing. They would um, find moments of fellowship or even as we talked about the value of sharing stories and testimonies last week that, that even just gathering to share testimonies of how God has worked in your life for the week became sacred space. And if sacred space goes beyond these four walls, are we, and so, so access is a word that I think is important. Um, this talks, uses the word dedicated, but in in West Portland, we've been using the word intention a lot, right? So not only is there access, I think there has to be an intentionality about making sacred space, right? I could gather with some of you, and without intention, we could talk about anything. The weather, Steve's plane, uh, political things. We could, 
you know, they could gather and they could be not sacred. And at the same time, we can gather in the very same place and with some intention, we can turn it into a sacred space. And so access to God and, and the presence of God with some intentionality. Um, there's also another uh, author I was reading just this morning, kind of reading some more pieces. Uh, they uh, ascribe the word awareness. Right? So it's not so much that they even we make something sacred, but that there are sacred things going on all around us, and whether or not we slow down enough just to be aware that there is a divine God that's already at work. And it could be in a sunset that we see. It could be in an interaction with a human being that we stop all of our busyness long enough simply to be aware that God is already present and doing something. And it is through our awareness of what God is doing that that space becomes sacred. Um, and when I talk about space, I, I don't just mean physical space. Right? There's a physical space, but there's also a time and space. Right? But this is just a sacred time or a sacred space because something is happening. And I do think there's value in, in ritual, like communion and coming to, to a table once a month can be a sacred thing, right? Because again, hopefully we're coming with intention. Hopefully we're coming with awareness. Um, and I also think you can come to the table and it cannot be sacred. It can be just another religious activity because it's a habit of what you do. And if you come to something that has been set apart or dedicated, but you do not come with that intentionality, you do not come up with that awareness, you don't come with the desire of having access to the divine, then it's just a ritual. It's just a habit. And we can even take some things that are very important to us and make it not sacred. Because we do it without intent. Um, so the early church, to uh, or moving on back to the Reformation, so I wanted to talk about this a little bit. There's been a lot of conversation around uh, even some of the origins of some of the, the original hymns. Because at that point, the, the Catholic church, the established church, um, a lot of it was, you know, again, uh, the Gutenberg Bible uh, had just been written. So printed and, and translated into to language and getting access, which was a lot of the Reformation, was just the ability and the use of the printing press to get access to language, get access to a Bible people could read. But um, even the music at that point was, uh, it was very uh, polished, most of the time sung in Latin in an a cappella format, oftentimes in a key that most of the congregation couldn't match. And so the, there wasn't access for the common person sitting in a pew to join in to the worship and the singing because it was sung in an unaccessible way. It was words and language they didn't know. It was a key they couldn't hit. It was, it was, it was other. It was separated. And so Luther's intent when he started writing some of the hymns and some of the early writers, it was all around accepts. We need to make songs, worship songs, godly songs, sacred songs that is accessible to the people that you could sing along with. That was, it was language that was familiar and common enough that, that the normal person could participate in. And it wasn't sung at such a high polished level they're like, well, I'm out. Um, I don't sing very high, so sometimes even some of the old hymns are written in such a high key that I'm like, 
just going to listen. Um, and, and, but it was this idea that it would be available to people. And that availability, whether or not, and now we're in a different stage. So we still try to draw on a weekly basis to bring in hymns that have meaning and value and theological value. Uh, but we also are kind of pulling in and introducing this church and the congregation to some newer pieces and even pieces that are like, hey, Steve, can you do this? Two of the songs he didn't hear until Wednesday. I'm like, hey, can you learn this by Sunday? Um, so uh, this, this process of drawing in and trying to make it accessible. And so we're going to be introducing new music with intent that has theological value because a lot of the hymns, too, they were didactic in a, in a realm that they were done in an intention to teach theology to make scripture available to people, um, to teach doctrine and value, but in a way that we can participate in. And so we will introduce some new music. Um, at the same time, we're going to hold to keeping some of the valuable, rich hymns that are traditional, that uh, theologically have value, that drive, because those are also sacred, as long as they're done with intent. Um, I have a, a spiritual mentor guy, spiritual director, um, Reverend, uh, Reverend Dr. John Lemon at Trinity uh, Covenant Church down in Salem, and he and I meet weekly, usually, and uh, he talks about the sacred as being a thin space, and he would argue that throughout your days, um, as we go about or even follow the church calendar, that there are certain times where the space between the divine and the normal are thinner. And it's in those thin times that we can really lean into the sacred. And, and those thin times are, you know, could be church calendar and communion, Christmas, Easter, some of the, the regular times where we, we follow a, a systematic calendar that draws us in. But, but thinking of a newborn being born as a thin space where that divide between the divine and the normal is just a little bit thinner. Could also be on the other side in the moments in the final life and passing of someone who's getting ready to, to pass away and transition. There's this thin space. Could be wedding ceremonies as people are coming and, and making vows to each other and wanting it to be a God-honoring existence that that space between the normal and the divine is just a little bit thinner. And we can lean in to what is sacred. Um, and the invitation, the challenge that I want to kind of just throw out for us is, as a church is where are those thin spaces in our day-to-day -day life? Is, is church on Sunday the only thin time you experience? Is it the only sacred time you experience? Maybe it's it is in solitude. It's, it's waking up with, uh, I would say, with a cup of coffee or tea, if, you know, that's your thing, whatever. Uh, and, and everyone else is still asleep, and you're out and you're hearing the birds chirp, and you're, you're reflecting on God or reading the scripture or devotion, and it's just this time before the world gets busy that you set aside with this intent to just kind of ground and center yourself. That could be sacred space in your world and in your day. I'm not a morning person. I have never found those early morning devotion set aside time to be great. I'm like, okay, I'm, now I'm supposed to like, dear Lord, just keep me awake so I can actually do this thing. 
Uh, right? So uh, early mornings aren't super sacred for me. It's, it's, I, I don't understand morning. They would make more sense to me if they came afternoon, but it's uh, not how it works, right? Uh, I am a late night person though, so after everyone goes to bed and the house settles, um, I like to shut off all electronics and whatnot, and I just sit in, in the quietness and I kind of reflect on the day. And that becomes sacred space for me because I'm intentional about that time. My wife will fall asleep by 8.30, so uh, <laughs> that, that's not sacred space for her, right? And then there's also this freedom in discovering sacred space because what might become sacred space for you is not something we're going to force on someone else. Right? I could be like, well, I'm the pastor. Sacred time is going to be between 11 p.m. and midnight. Everyone is going to do devotions at that time. Right? How many of you are up at 11 o'clock at night? <laughs> There's two hands went up. Two hands, right? right? So, so sacred space in our normal can look different. There's a freedom in that. Right? Maybe you have a trail by your house. Um, and, and that becomes sacred space. Maybe it's a person, like this is someone I go to when I'm challenged and I want help or encouragement and prayer and reflection in it. And maybe it's not necessarily sacred space, but you have sacred people who you lean into those conversations with. But the early church, as it was emerging and forming, had to create the sacred. They couldn't necessarily find it in their established religious structure anymore. If you go through the Renaissance and in the Reformation, uh, the Lutherans couldn't go to the established chapels and churches to worship God anymore. So they were often, uh, early churches in, during the Protestant Reformation were in public houses and, and different places that had to become sacred because they couldn't find it within the established religious structure anymore. And we do have a freedom. We do have this building. And we're caring about this building. But, and so we're not being forced out of here. But perhaps we can still find outside of the established religious structure, there's an opportunity for you to find and discover the sacred. And sacred space. Whether it's physical space, a specific time, a location, or specific relationships. That you, you challenge you in the faith and draw you in and are your go-to people. How do you discover those sacred spaces? And as you think about that this week, I really get homework. Um, and if you do it, actually, I want to show hands. Who did last week's homework? Does anyone remember what last week's homework was? The challenge we had uh, the two interns from Because People Matter share their testimonies. And your homework was to find a spot where it seemed appropriate for you to share your faith story. Where would be a time for you? Because it was the habit of telling stories, of sharing their faith stories. So how many of you had an opportunity this last week to end up in a conversation with someone around your faith? All right, a couple people. Sorry, you can, do, you can make up homework also. You can, you can still do it this week. Uh, Right? But this is the habit. The habit of sharing our stories, our testimonies, what God has been doing in our lives. Let's lean into that because I also think that's sacred space. When we look for an opportunity to share, um, one of the things we coach a lot of times is sharing your why. Like, 
why are you you're doing this act of service, but why? Well, I do this because my faith motivates me to. Um, and, and so the challenge for us this week, or this homework, is I want, with intention, and making it accessible to you, to find some place outside of this building that you can spend some sacred moments. You can take your Bible with you. You can take your, you know, a playlist if you want to just play some hymns. Um, and find us. Maybe it's even, I had a pastor that I worked with who, uh, he lived about just outside of town in a little rural town. And there was this spot as he drove home and he had four kids at home. And so we'd go from the busyness of the church and, and there, the church at the time was about 400 people. So day-to-day operations were actually pretty busy. And then he would go home to four kids. But on his way home, between the church and his house, there was a little dirt road he would pull off and had some tree shades. And he would just shut off the car and take about 20 minutes to kind of rest, reflect, transition. So that way when he walked in the door of his home, he could be 100% present with his family and not just like, oh, hold on, I need to decompress. He did it on the, the way. And it was a dirt road. But it became sacred space to him. Uh, I wanted to share one other story about sacred, uh, and I'm running out of time. Uh, I know you guys know my story, and that between junior high and senior high, um, I ended up arrested for breaking and entering, and I had to go through a diversion program that I did with a faith-based entity, and so this would have been uh, summer of 1989. And uh, I was into a little bit rowdier music at that time, big hair bands, uh, you know, heavy metal. My hair at one point was like down to here. I had this nice feathered bangs that came out, and, uh, ripped up leather and, you know, studded leather wristband. Like, it was great. It was beautiful. Uh, I would love to get my hair back to that point uh, at some point. Uh, and there's this hard rock band called White Lion. They had an album called Pride. And it was, I mean, it was hard rock, all right? Well, that can't be secret. Uh, and at the end of it, though, there was this ballad that was called When the Children Cry. And it's basically, well, what do we do? How do we respond when the children cry? And it's still, I listened to it a couple times this week, um, just reflecting on the idea of what and where do we find sacred. This, this ballad of when the children cry is, was foundational. Because at that point, too, I was coming out of, you know, some reckless behavior into a spot of like, just discovering God. And... And I think even that song has a lot to do with why I tend to be drawn to service industries. You know, why I'm part of a humanitarian organization that does houseless relief, that does kids' programs for marginalized and under-resourced communities, all of that. Was this, like, I mean, I just remember listening to this song and weeping and, and this idea, like, well, who's going to do something? And just, like, even being this long-haired punk, like, well, I'm going to do something, right? This song, even though it was from a heavy metal band, is sacred to me, because even now, this week, again, I said I, I played it a couple times, and instantly, emotionally, it brought me somewhere. When that song plays, I enter into a thin space where the divine is not so far separated from the normal. And this heavy metal, hard rock band, not a Christian hard rock band, this was a completely secular group, but has this song that shaped and influenced most of my career even as an adult. 
When that song plays, I go into a sacred space. And if God can use hard rock to create sacred space, or Lutheran tunes, or, or you know, public houses for churches, or someone's home, I'm just going to encourage you, somewhere in your week, there's an opportunity, as long as we walk in with awareness, intention, that sacred space can form where you could be drawn in a little bit more to the presence of the divine. And I want to challenge you to lean into that. Let go of the busyness. Let go of the routine. Let go of the structure. And discover a sacred space where you can just be in the presence of God this week. Hear what he would say. Be encouraged in your spirit. Maybe corrected in some behavior. It's always that challenge where God encourages us, but also kind of spanks us a little bit. But discover that. Be open and curious to find out what that means and what that looks like. Steve, would you?